I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Welcome back to the Lantern Rouge Cycling Podcast with Benji Nyson. I thought we were going to have a rest day today. We've got 48 days straight of World Tour racing commencing tomorrow. But I just couldn't keep away from Benji and I thought you might want to hear a Bink Bank Tour preview and uh, us discuss briefly the transfer news, particularly the Ineos transfer news that I think was last week. I'm not sure we really touched on it in detail yet. But yeah, the Bink Bank Tour, one that's a race that I really like and a race that's going past, I think, your house tomorrow, Benji. Yes, for sure. And I'm kind of looking forward to it every year because it's a stage race that doesn't really align with all the other stage races. So you've got Paranese that doesn't have cobbles, obviously. You've got Tireno, who's focused more on the uh, one mountain stage, hills, and then the time trial and the, the actual sprints as well, because it's got some good sprint stages usually. And there's no real stage race in World Tour that focuses on having some cobble races as well. It was the Benelux Tour in the past, I think. Then it changed to the Eneco Tour. Now we're at the Bing Bang Tour. So it has had a lot of names, but I'm looking forward to it every single year. Although I do have the feeling that this year it's in a better position. If I recall correctly, it's more towards the end of the season, usually just before or during the Vuelta. I'm not even sure what it is. I think just before the Vuelta or just after it. Anyway, not that important. Uh, this year it's just before the Giro. And therefore, some riders that are going to the Giro can't contend here. That comes with the likes of the person we spoke about in the time trial earlier um, in the World Championships, Filippo Ghana. We hoped that he would try a Bing Bang Tour. He was on the start list of both the uh, Bing Bang and the Giro because they're happening at the same time. That's obviously impossible. Yeah, he's doing Giro. Always interesting to read out the, the list of riders who've won this race previously. And that's almost just as informative for what sort of race the Bing Bang Tour, if you're not as familiar with it uh, as the other, other World Tour stage races, um, so reading out the start list can really tell you what sort of rider wins this. Well, this year it's a five-stage race. So going from 2010 onwards, Tony Martin, Edvard Bosenhagen, Lars Bomb, Zidnek Stibar, Tim Wellens back-to-back 2014-15, Nicky Terpstra 2016, Tom Dumoulin, so back-to-back years for Dutchman, then Mohoric, the Slovenian in 2018, and Lorenz de Plus. His only professional win was the GC of the Pink Bang Tour last year. And last year, Sam Bennett cleaned up the sprints. I think he won three stages in a row from stages one to three. He won the points classification. Um, so, yeah, they're the sort of riders who win. There's time trialists in there uh, like Martin and Dumoulin because there is a prologue usually or a decent time trial every single year. That's why Benji was mentioning why Ghana would be such an interesting pick. Uh, but also there's the classics, pure classics men like Stebar and uh, and Terpstra. So it's a really interesting race. It's got a very, very strong start list this year, um, as Benji sort of intimated before. One of its strongest ever, I think, because all the classics men are here. All the classics men that wouldn't be going to the Giro, who are prepping for Flanders and Roubaix, they're using Bank as a tune-up race. And that's 
kind of the right thing. Like it makes sense for it to be used in that way. It's a shame that it sometimes doesn't, kind of like Balwaza Tour or the Belgium Tour, sometimes goes under the radar. But yeah, Benji, sorry, I'll let you get into the parkour now. Particularly, is um, this is this is the parkour where you got to be doing it and pronouncing the names because um, I might struggle. Blankenberg to Ardoje is the first stage. It starts in West Flanders, which is my neighborhood. So I'll be uh, I'll be taking my mask and I'll go outside to uh, watch the race probably very subtly tomorrow. It's not that far from my home, so that will be great. But the first stage is looking like it will be a sprint stage. What's amazing about the parkour of the Big Bang Tour, or what's not amazing, it depends on the person you ask, is the fact that every road stage, so no time trials, every road stage has a golden kilometer with about 20-ish kilometers to go somewhere in the parkour. And that is, well, three sprints in one kilometer where GC people can get extra seconds. And that is... A concept that only the Bing Bang Tour, I think, uses. So it's different. I like it because it's something different than the other races and that gives an extra touch to this race. And this one has it about 25 kilometers from the line. Then we also have intermediate sprints and there's a classification for that for the breakaway riders. So you will have pretty much a breakaway rider that goes in the break every day to try and get those intermediate sprint points because then he gets a... I'm not sure what the name is, but it's basically a breakaway shot. Yeah, the combativity prize, I think it's officially called. Can you hold on, hold on, hold on, Magic? Go back. The golden kilometer. Explain it. So in there's one kilometer, and then what, every 333 meters, there's a sprint for three bonus seconds. Yes. Holy, that is so good. I can't wait to what? How is that not a thing? How have they not been YouTube video compilations of Bink Bank Tour Golden? That's like one of the, uh, like a really weird weird thing that people would be interested in and i'd never heard of it before until i saw it on the parkour i thought it was one i thought it was one sprint for three seconds i didn't know it was three for three seconds each yeah that's the great thing about it and additionally it also improves the uh the oddness of attacks at that moment because some people will go tactical and will wait to the second or third sprint when all the uh, first people that launch for the first sprint are tired and try and go for the second and the third Sometimes, well, the break just takes them, but sometimes we have fierce battle in fierce battles in the peloton where you just see the riders that are going for GC, like a Philip Gilberos or a Stibar, try and attack away just before the sprint, try and do a little sprint against the other GC favorites. So, yeah, it, it's an interesting concept, and I'd love it if there were more other concepts in cycling than races just doing the usual stuff. This improves the uh, viewing of the people watching because this gives an extra factor to just flat stages. And yeah, everything that improves the entertainment of those is definitely a welcome for me. So is there any wind tomorrow or is it... Because I see it, it's north, it starts north of Bruges uh, near the coast. Is there any wind that could play in, into effect or is it probably just going to be a basic sprint tomorrow? I'm literally typing it in Google right now, and it's going to be a pretty good day Can't tomorrow. you got your window? <laughs> there was a storm the other day during the podcast recording. People were saying I was talking too much. People were saying, Lantern, you've got to let Benji speak more. The reason was that Benji had an actual storm that was like cutting power outside his house. So I just had to sort of run with it. But yeah, I guess I guess the wind can't be too strong if you're having to look it up on Google. All right, stage two, the straight into the ITT. That's 10.9 Ks long from Vlissingen to Vlissingen. Uh, it's down, looks like it's on some sort of beach. They go for a beach holiday. It looks very technical. 
Now, if you go and look at the overhead shot of this parkour, the amount of twists and turns they have, I'm counting well over maybe 15 where they're going to have to fully break and there's 90-degree turns in an 11-kilometre time trial. That is not one for the aero men. It's one for the power men like Filippo Ganna. But, yeah, very I'll be interested to see who does well on that. We'll maybe give say who will uh, who's our pick for the prologue when we actually go through the start list after the parkour. Uh, we finish the parkour, but yeah, where is that in Belgium, Benji? Is that down on the? Um, I I don't know where that is, Vlissingen. Well, Vlissingen is actually in the in the Netherlands. So uh, oh, we right. go from Belgium, and then we basically decide to go the whole way up to the Netherlands because <laughs> why not? <laughs> and then we start in the Netherlands for the second stage. I think there are less stages this year than usual and they have to like skip a few uh areas that they would usually go to and therefore the distance between stage one and two is a bit longer than you would expect but in general it's a distance that it's not going to take six hours to go to because belgium's not even six hours long so yeah they're going to be able to take like a one hour and a half bus drive to the uh, start of the time trial so it's not that big of a deal Right, okay. Because, uh, yeah, this used to be called the, the Benelux Tour. So, yeah, first two stages, got that ITT. Then, yeah, the names get hard again, Benji, and I think it comes back in from the Netherlands uh, into into Belgium, or does it start in Belgium, in Philippines, for stage three? <laughs> Honestly, I've got no actual clue. Philippines is a country in Asia, but I'm pretty sure that's not it. So <laughs> we're starting in Philippines, and we're going to, uh, to Alter in Belgium, which is... Uh, the worst city when it comes to traffic on a on a highway in 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 East Flanders. It's it's horrible. I've been in traffic there for years in my life, so just wanted to point that out. But the riders aren't going to be in traffic, hopefully, and they are going to have a mass sprint most likely. Um, they don't necessarily have cobbles on the area, nor actual hills. So again, a golden kilometer, a bit close to the finish line, about fourteen kilometers from the line. So. It's going to be curious whether um, that will influence the fact that you've got sprinter teams coming to the fore towards the end of the race. Is that going to kind of play in the cards of the people that go for those GC seconds that they will try and use one of those guys that is still leading it out for these sprinters and try and sprint away from that? Or will they have their own train for that? Honestly, quite curious. Generally, don't have a clue. And I guess we'll find out. But when it comes to the fourth stage, Rims to Setartelein, this is what I like about the Bing Bang Tour. It's got usually one stage that's a hill stage and one stage that's a cobble classic. So you've got a bit of both, a bit of a cobble classics and a bit of the hill classics. And this stage goes from Rims to Sittard And I think that Sittard is in the Netherlands. I think we start at the top of Belgium somewhere, go upwards to the Netherlands, and there's plenty of hills among the route. So it's a bit of a, a one-stage Amstel Gold race, I would dare to say. And I think the Kauberg is in here as well. Yes, indeed. Actually, yes, multiple, um, multiple times. times. Yes, indeed, multiple times. But I recall this stage being a good one in the past, and I think this one's going to be pretty cool as well. Yeah, this looks so good. It's got loads of punchy climbs, 196Ks. It's like a, a proper classic in a stage race. Some of the same climbs you'll see in Amstel Gold, obviously. It looks like they do laps or maybe, they, yeah, so given that they do the Kauberg uh, at least twice. They do the uh, Watersleep climb uh, from different angles. They do the Bermelberg. Uh, what else do they do? There's not too many long climbs. The hardest climb of the race is in the last stage. Uh, but, yeah, it's just really rolly parkour, 196Ks. They have the Golden Kilometre. I think it's on the top of the Kauberg, 
132Ks into the stage. So that'll be interesting to see who goes to that. I mean, we know I got my favorite to win GC for the Big Bang Tour already lined up, but I'll save that um, because, yeah, that's another interesting stage. I don't think they go into Germany because obviously Maastricht is kind of bordered by uh, Belgium and Germany. But, yeah, it's, do they, I'm not sure they even are able to go into Luxembourg this year. I'm not sure if they normally do go into Luxembourg, given that it was, I think, was it the Benelux Tour. But, anyway, stage five finishing in Gerardsbergen. Uh, 188 kilometers long. I can't pronounce where it starts, Benji. Can you explain, give people a quick rundown, maybe if they're not familiar with um, Belgian demographics, why the where this race starts is a French name and that region and where it finishes Gerardsbergen, which is on the other side of, uh, on the, the west of Brussels where Remco trains. Like what, what region is this just south of Brussels and then, then west of Brussels? So just in general, the northern part of Belgium is where they speak Dutch. That's Flanders. The southern part is Wallon. That part is where they speak French, usually. On the right side, you've got a small section where they speak German, because why not? There's no parts where they speak Italian, but there are a lot of Italians that live in Limburg, which is in Flanders. So potentially you could count that as Italy as well. So there's basically a lot of countries in one, and that is Belgium at the moment. Nonetheless, we've got names that are Dutch. That's the northern part, and the French names are in the bottom. So for this stage, this stage towards here, I in the final stage, one monster of a stage, by the way. It starts in the uh, southern part, and it moves towards the northern part a bit more, just across the border of... Uh, Flanders and Wallon, and then you've got a finish in Heerardsbergen, which is where one beautiful, beautiful Belgian monument is, and that is uh, the Muur van Heerardsbergen, the Kapelmuur, and that is, yeah, as most of the cycling lovers as well know, 1.2 kilometer climb, 7.2 percentage, and it is in that parkour at least one, two, three, four times and there's also the Bosberg multiple times just after the Kapelmurg as usual. Kapelmur, not Murg. Anyway, then the Rodeberg is there as well. And that's uh, basically the last climb in the race. Uh, last couple climb in the race. 6.3%, 0.7 kilometers, so 700 meters. And that is, um, well, a good 6 kilometers from the line. So most likely, this is going to be a massacre when it comes to the uh, Cobble Classics. And if I recall correctly, this stage finishes in the middle of the Kapelmur. So the Kapelmur is known for having two parts. You've got, I don't know what the uh, the English name is for it, but the part before the cobbles actually start that you ride into Heerardsbergen. It's already moving up and you basically finish on the, uh, on the spot where the cobbles are supposed to start because that's a wider street to finish a stage on, obviously. And um, they basically also do that cobble section in the race, but not at the finish line. So they're going to be finishing on the Kapelmur in the middle somewhere. And that is usually a spectacle in the last few years, because then you've got the cobble sprinters. Well, not necessarily cobble sprinters, but the cobble classics members will be able to ride away with a small group, usually in this kind of stage. And then they'll have a little sprint out if multiple more than one survive this stage in the end. Yeah, these stage four and stage five back to back, I cannot wait to watch them. Just, it's like having Amstel Gold and then a Flandrian Classic in 
yeah, back-to-back days. That's literally what it is. Um, so what a, what a fantastic end to the race. They've got the golden kilometre. I think this is about oh, 22 k's from the finish on top of the Bosberg. I'm not sure how that works on the climb. <laughs> That's going to be crazy. If it's every 300 metres on the climb or if it's up deck crest, that's that's going to be wild. I can't wait to see that. Um, I hope the highlights do it justice. Um, but, yeah, that's the parkour. I hope we've got you sufficiently intrigued. Five stages, Bing Bang Tour. Um, I haven't looked at the betting markets. I probably should, but we'll get to that maybe just to say who the favourites are um, after we've gone through the start list, really. Um, the man, the first man on the team sheet, or the, on the, the, sorry, the first man, we have to talk about, and the first team we've got to talk about is Alpes and Phoenix, the team that is punching way above its weight in World Tour at the moment, not just because of Mathieu van der Poel, who's starting Bank Bank tomorrow. Thries de Bont, Belgian national champion, just won. Tim Merlier, has he just won multiple World Tour stages, or he definitely won one World Tour stage, and he beat Buani in a different sprint as well. Um, he's having a magic... Magic year so far, winning a stage at Terreno. That's what I was thinking about. Plus Brussels Cycling Classic. That's where he beat Buani, uh, I think, from memory when Buani crashed at the end. No fault of anyone, really, or any of the riders. Jonas Rickert, who's looked really good as well. Um, he's won. He won another race earlier, the Belgian. He won, a, I think, yeah, Dwarsburg-Hetergland. He won since lockdown. Um, yeah, just Alpes and Phoenix are stacked for these classics races. And... Maybe it's a, for a different podcast where I might want to talk about how would you, if you were a DS, construct a team if you wanted to win the most races possible on a low budget. Now, I'm sure Matthew van der Poel ain't on a cheap salary, or maybe he is on a cheap salary uh, because of just he doesn't want to be committed to riding every World Tour race or whatever uh, on a World Tour team. But that team is so strong. Uh, Yanni Vermeers. Yeah, I think van der Poel is the prohibitive favorite to win the race overall. I think is at $2.50. Um, and when you look at the profile, when you look at where those golden kilometers are, and it's only a 10K prologue where Sony twists and turns, he has to be the favorite to win this race. Even though his form hasn't looked as obscene as 2019. Uh, but yeah, what are you expecting from Alps and Phoenix at Bank Bank Benji? Just pure domination, multiple stage wins, Van der Poel riding away with GC. Like, what are you expecting from them? Well, is it is is there anyone that can really contend with Van der Poel on GC? I would dare to say yes. Um, just in general, the team is very well built. We've got basically all winners except for Senelaisen, I think, this year. I think Johnny Vermeer has won Antwerp Port Epic, and there is a big one in a Warsaw Tour somewhere in uh, in Poland once, I think, uh, a bit earlier after the Corona restart but in general a really good team i'm curious what they're going to do when it comes to sprints on paper that's the Merlier's territory vanderpool is going to be there for the hillies and for that cobble stage i'm curious how that's going to go for the golden kilometer on paper vanderpool should be able to win that every time he tries with a sprint compared to the competitors he has there uh yeah it's a very well-rounded team good teammates as well vermeers and ricard so looking forward to this team there is the bond is usually the person that goes in the breakaway in the Bing Bang Tour to take that breakaway jersey. But I think this year with a rider that is possibly winning this tour, he might be in a different role. I just don't know that yet. So I guess we're going to find that out in the race itself. But when it comes to competition, I've got quite a few names, and it's mainly because we've got a time trial of 11 kilometers, like we mentioned earlier. Vanderpool is not a terrible TT here. He has done decent time trials. I think he was top 30, top 20 at the Terreno one. It was 14th. So... 
definitely not terrible. He beat the likes of Kelderman, was on the same level as Mikel Bjerg, Will Barta, and so forth. So I'm not expecting him to be murdered in that time trial, but he could relatively easily end up on 20 seconds of the likes of Stefan Kung, maybe a certain Kro Andersen, because those people have done really good time trials in the past. Better on the shorter time trials as well. Sören Kro Andersen, definitely. So on paper, he should be able to do well there. Mess Pedersen as well. And I think that time trial is going to be the decisive factor for Vanderpool. But honestly, I think on that hilly stage, the fourth one to Sittard Galen, that should be his territory. He should basically be able to murder everybody that is even close to him in that uh, in that area because that parkour suits him so perfectly that I don't see anyone really competing with him there. Yeah, I mean, I hope there's an upset. Um, I don't think his form has been so crazy this year that he is going to run away with it. I actually think it's going to be a pretty decent fight. Um, so I hope I hope I'm right in that case. The Koenig quick step, we've got to talk about them when in a race like this, uh, the Bing Bang Tour. They don't have a man in top five favourites for GC, so which is kind of interesting. It's Seneschal would be their man, I think, uh, for GC, but it's hard for me to see where he'd be picking up time unless he managed to like really win one of these stages, stage four or five, by 30 seconds to maybe even he'll need more time than that on Mathieu van der Poel. Uh, van der Poel is cleaning up these golden kilometres in the first, uh, in stages one and three in the sprint stages because, yeah, uh, Seneschal, he's not going to beat him in the sprints, I don't think. And head to head in stages four and five, probably be taking van der Poel as well. It'd be, he'd need to be getting in a break and it's all to fall over for Alpes and Phoenix. They've also got Stieber, who's won GC overall here. Uh, I think one's, maybe one stage is in Bing Bank, Bing Bank Shane Archibald. Yves Lampard, Seneschal, Stein Stiels, uh, Yannick Steimler, Bert, Lander, Bert van Leerberger. So also interesting, Benji, that they haven't brought a pure sprinter. Is Seneschal going to be, do you reckon they'll be riding for just Seneschal in the sprints on stages one and three? I mean, he can he can do it, I guess, but still, I mean, he's, he's had a really good year so far, Seneschal, um, a pretty good year, you know, third in Bretagne Classic. Um which that was behind, I think, yeah, Matthews and Mezgetz. That was also, yeah, that was ahead of other sort of classic sprinters. So he can sprint, but yeah, I'm, it's interesting that they didn't bring, maybe this is where they, they would have brought Jakobsen. Um, so it's really, they didn't really have a choice to kind of quick step, unfortunately. But yeah, what do you make of their team? Yeah, I think it's actually because indeed Jakobsen is out of uh, out of reach at the moment, unfortunately. Uh, we've got Hotch riding the Giro for them, and, well, Bennett just did the tour, so he's basically being left out for a, a bit of a pause, I'd say, because winning the green jersey, he's basically already had his season goal, probably. But looking at this team, indeed, no pure sprinter. Seneschal probably going to be sprinting a tiny bit. Lampard, he just came back from injury. I'm not sure we can expect him at full force yet. I'm really unsure what his form is like. Jinek Stibar, mm, he's not... I wouldn't say he's not a terrible rider. He's obviously not a terrible rider. He's a great rider, but it's going to be really tough for him to compete with a Vanderpool. In regards to the time trial as well, this team does not have a rider that can really take time on Vanderpool there. So it's not like you can take time there and then try and save your life on the hilly parkour. I think these riders might have to have it from trying to get a stage win because when it comes to GC, it's going to be really tough. Seneschal might be able to do something on that 
He had his wedding stage T-Bar as well, but they're going to have to play out their team really well. And yeah, a Vanderpool that is somewhat in form should be unbeatable on that parkour. So it's really tough to look at this team and see a potential GC upset. I think Stivar is actually fine. His 2019 was really good. He won Omloop, I think, uh, another major. I think he won uh, E3 Bing Bang Classic from memory in 2019. He's come out of lockdown. He got sixth in Strade. That's a good result. That's fine. Um, I think Quickstep's best chance of winning is leveraging having two genuine chances at GC, Seneschal and Stivar, and using them and attacking and counter-attacking in those stages four and five and trying to get a big gap on uh, the Vanderpool and any of the other GC contenders. And if I had to pick between the, those two quick-step riders for GC, I think I'd actually be going with Stiva. Um, but well, it remains to be seen. They're pretty close in the betting markets. Um, Jumbo Visma, pretty... I'm not sure who they'd be going for on the sprint, Benji. I think probably uh, Mike Turnison or Pascal Enkorn. I mean, you're probably you're closer to what they're up to at the moment than I am. Um, I know Enkhorn won, I think, the last stage of Settimana Internazionale Coppi Bartoli, but he's young rider. Uh, Turnison obviously won Tour de France stage. I should read out the whole team. Turnison, Grondal Janssen, who obviously we saw in Tour de France, Berdian Lindemann, Timo Rusen, Pascal Enkhorn, Taco van Dorn, and Martin Leinens. But yeah, what's... What are Jumbo Visma looking for? Just stage wins on stages one and three, Benji? And who is their sprinter? First of all, I think that Mike Turnison is going to be the sprinter. Acorn is going to be, well, there if Turnison cannot make that happen. Acorn is better on the hilly terrain with a sprint at the end. Not necessarily an amazing puncher yet, but he's super young and he's talented. So I'm looking forward to seeing what he can offer in the future. But regarding the team, it feels like they've got a team of basically Turnison, Acorn, Rosen, and then all the riders that are leaving the team at the end of the season. <laughs> so we've got Van der Horn, who is not re-signed, and it's not looking like they will. Martin Wijnans, I think, is retiring at the end of the season, but I could be extremely wrong there. He's going to retire in April next year, so he's staying until then at Jumbo Visma, and then he's gone. And then Janssen is leaving from Mitchelton, of course, and Bertjan Lindemann has not re-signed it, and it doesn't really seem like he will. So They're B-team. Some teams that do have more of a chance on GC... And the man who just lost the Rainbow Bands, well, didn't lose them. He just his year elapsed before <laughs> before he got a chance to wear it in the classics. Trexa Gafredo, Mads Persson, Alex Kirsch, Emils Leipinch, uh, the Latvian Matteo Moschetti, Ryan Mullen, Charlie Corderman, and Kiel Reinen. Why is even the American got a hard name? What the hell, man? Um, <laughs> so they've got a real every. They do not have one rider. Sorry, they do not have two riders from the same nation on this team. A Dane, a Dane, I think a Luxembourg, a Latvian, Italian, Irishman, a Briton, and an American. So I think Mads Pedersen could go really well. I'm expecting him to do really, really well on one of these stages, maybe even take a stage. Um, he just looked – because he could win any stage, Mads Pedersen, including the time trial, Benji. Do you think that's out of the question? Because I think it's a power time trial – where you've got all these corners, um, having to accelerate out of those corners. I think Pedersen could go pretty well at that. I don't know who the, the favourite would be for it. Probably Stefan Kung on Group Army FTJ. But even the sprints, this is not a strong sprint lineup, um, apart from obviously Mark Cavendish at this race. <laughs> so 
Pascal Ackerman is obviously there, but Mads Pedersen can beat him. Mads Pedersen could win stages one, two, or three. And then, I mean, you probably have to be on a magic day and probably be more looking at stage five rather than stage four. But, yeah, there's a reason why Pedersen is fourth favourite for GC because what if they really – do you think they're going to commit to him and really go for all those golden kilometres? Um, like, is like what is a rider like Matteo Moschetti? Like, what sort of rider is he, uh, and how how will Trek use him? He's actually a sprinter, and he's beaten Ackermann on head to heads. I think at the start of this season at uh, Trofeo Palma and so forth. So when Ackermann was not looking too good, he was there to uh, take up the prizes. But his main issue is that he's suffering under a lot of injuries the last few years and he yeah he falls a lot and it's not necessarily his own fault usually it's usually that someone makes an odd move in a sprint and accidentally takes him down and then he's injured for a year so it's really annoying a really good talent in the sprints and genuinely I would put him under Peterson after the Tour de France but if you ask me before the Tour de France who of the two I'd be sprinting with I'd be going for Moschetti so I sure as hell didn't see Peterson coming as a top sprinter, and he showed that he can do that in the Tour de France. So most likely I see them going for Peterson in the sprints, but knowing Trek, they might actually switch them around every day because that's kind of a tactic they like doing. Alex Kinesh cannot really be looked past when it comes to the Cobble Classics. He's not necessarily up there with the biggest guns, but he's always a bit of an outsider. He always is. Yeah, He's of value to a team in this kind of race. That's what I'm looking for. Ryan Mullen, meh, don't expect too much. He was not that great at the World Championships time trial. And I think he even abandoned early on in the World Championships road race. Quarterman, I genuinely don't remember what he is good at. Was that time trial? Yeah, time trial. It's, he's only 22. He's, yeah, he's only 22, young British guy. Um, I think his training year was last year with, with Trek Secretary. He came straight from Continental. Um, but yeah, he's not... So I think he's going to be on lead-out duties as well um, and just still learning, I guess. But every rider they've brought, and Mullen as well would probably be f- more controlling things on stages four and five, but they brought a proper lead-out. Kirsch, Leipinch, Moschetti, uh, Kilreinen, he's like an experienced like veteran US uh, sprinter, I think. He's like one of few, he's like one of few American races or more than a few, five um, stages back in like 13, 14, 15. Um, I was speaking of sort of which, how I would construct a team if I wanted to, if I had a limited budget. This is the sort of team you construct. Like the, the salaries, assuming that Pedersen wasn't able to read, assuming he hasn't renegotiated after World Champs, then is he's still on that existing contract. I don't know if they gave him an extension after that. They probably did. Um, but if you say he was on the same salaries before he won Worlds, this team team would be cheap, and they got all these really good lead out men, um, underrated. Who hopefully they just work full for Pedersen. I really hope they don't change it around. We mentioned that in the tour. I think at some point, Benji, you did. You were saying it's better to just just. Maz Pedersen's the man on this team, right? He's like got so much talent, more talent than the other riders. That's not not knocking them. That's just just the reality. Okay, he <laughs> look what he did in the Tour de France. Uh, Moschetti's nice, but. Let's focus on Pedersen. I hope they go all in on winning him stages and GC, and I'm really excited to see see what he can do, um, especially as, yeah, unfortunately, he's going to be back in that Trek jersey without the rainbow bands anymore. Um, but, yeah, another favourite for the race, another team is your man, Benji. Maybe I don't even know if he's your favourite rider. 
Soren Kranderson. And I was just speaking of underrated teams with pretty good leadouts and riders. What do you think of this Sunweb team? It's a very strong team. We already spoke a lot about Niels Eikhoff on this podcast during the Britannic Classic. Um, well, podcast with it. The first one we did actually. So Eikhoff was a rider that was a key part of that race. And he's going to be a key part of this race. I think that we're going to explore the abilities of Eikhoff in this race as potentially a helper. But I would dare to put him, well, probably not. It might be too early to put him next to Søren Kralandersen here because of the uh, unknown ability and time trolling and so forth. Søren Kralandersen, he's got the prologue, similar as Peterson. Basically very similar as Peterson's opportunities here. He's going to strike a lot on the cobbles. I would put him a tiny bit higher on the abilities when it comes to that fourth hill stage. And to me, he is basically one of the riders that can compete with Matthew Van Der Poel if his prologue, well, time trial, it's not an official prologue, is good enough. And they've got a sprinter as well. That is Dainese, Max Kanter. I think that they're going to go for Dainese, looking at what they did in Tireno, yeah, where they yeah, had yeah. Matthews go for uh, leading out Dainese. So I'm expecting that Dainese might be a, an important factor in the sprints because you underrate him a lot, I know that, and um, you're going to see it soon enough that Alberto Dainese is the new king in town. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I'm not that much of a fan either, but I, I see a talent <laughs> that I'm looking forward to see it come out a bit more because it's always fun when a rider is doing stuff in the background, but the moment they hit the foreground, I want to see some action. So this is his opportunity. Same for Eikhoff. Søren Kralnersen, yeah, he's up there. Joshua Zutelin for the time trial, maybe. He's not been okay recently, to be honest in both time trialing and just outside of that. But he's going to be a bit of a road captain for the team as well. Florian Stork, he's a pretty young guy, I think. He came from the dev team last year, if I recall correctly. And I've got absolutely no clue what he does. When it comes to the, uh, I think, brother of Granderson, Asbjörn, is also at the start here. And I think he was a lead out, but I'm not 100% sure of that. All right, I'll make a friendly wager with you. I think Mads Pedersen is going to finish above Kran- Soren Granderson and GC. How much is the friendly wager? Oh, just just our honour in front of the millions of people that listen to this. And I'm I'm getting the worst end of that deal, by the way. Kranderson's four dollars second favourite for GC. Pedersen's yeah, nine dollars. But I'm not even a fan of Kranderson. To... <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll forget it. I just wanted to well, back let's him do it. it. Let's do That's it. That's my take. Friendly wager. Uh, okay, I'm gonna support SKA here. <laughs> All right, I think Pedersen will do really well. I hope he will. Um, given how well he did for Port and and for himself in the Tour de France, um, but just maybe moving quick, more quickly through uh, the other teams, uh, Bora Hansgrohe they've brought. I think they've pretty much just come for stages for Pascal Ackerman. I don't really see them doing too much else. Um, really, obviously they've got yeah they they brought a lead out. They got Jimpy Drucker, Burkhart. Uh, Martin Lars. Or do you think maybe even they could go for Martin Lars, the Estonian Benji? He just got a uh, couple of stages at the Tour of Slovakia. No, nah, they're still going to be going for Pascal Lacken yeah. in the sprint. Um, <laughs> so, I don't know why. I, even, I was just trying to make it interesting. They got a full sprint train. Uh, Lotus Sudal, Philip Gilbert is back. He's riding uh, Stander Wolf, very talented young rider. Wouldn't be surprised if he was actually up there. Uh, Nicholas Mais, Yerovalais. Florian Vermeesh. Uh, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see how Gilbert is going. I actually don't expect him to do too much, uh, even on stage four, which should suit him. Um, I think 
Ding van der Poel and Seneschal and Stibar, etc. A little bit, a little bit too strong. Um, Barring McLaren, they got the they got the old fellas <laughs> in Seberg, Hausler, Cavendish. Uh, Cobrelli's not actually that old; uh, he's younger than you think. But if Hausler won a stage, I'd be so geared up. Um, oh, me too. You know, I love him. He, yeah, thirty six. <laughs> just he's so. Oh he, uh, yeah, he he won't obviously. But um, one man to watch is even Garcia Cortina. I uh, won a stage in Paris at the start of the year, but since. Coming back from lockdown, not looked as good. Um, he came, got a couple of seconds in like a 2-1 race, a Tour Poitou, Charente, or Nouvelle-Aquitanie. Not that high-level race. Didn't Wasn't even close, really, in the Tirreno sprints. Um, Britannia Classic just came 10th, and the European Conti champs. I thought he would have been up there on that sort of route. Um, so, yeah, just, just watching Ivan Garcia-Cortina to see what his form is like. Um, NTT have got a previous winner in Edvald Bosenhagen, but he's he came second in a sprint in the Tour de France, so you never know. Um, but yeah, Giacomo Nizzolo is there, the European champion, but he didn't look as good in the Tour either. Uh, third favorite though for Group Armor FDJ, and they've brought their they brought their big boy squad FDJ, uh, the opposite of their Tour squad, Kung Alexis Brunel, uh, Kevin Genietz, who's actually the new Luxembourg champion. Taking it away from Bob Jungels, Matthew Ladenu, Olivier Legac, Fabian Leinard, and Tobias Ludwigsen. And yeah, do you think do you think Kung? I don't think he should be third favorite, to be honest. Uh, the time trial's not long enough. And yeah, he won a, he's won a couple of stages in Bing Bang Tour in 18 and uh, and 17, I'm pretty sure, but they were well, one in 2018, I'm 100% sure was the ITT. And the one in seventeen was as well, so I think he's going to lose too much time on the other stages to, especially in the sprints, um, to really be competitive on GC. So I don't really like him for that, but I hope he does. He's going to be the favourite for the time trial, that is for for sure. But yeah, do you think I'm am I underrating Stefan Kuhn? I think last year we saw that didn't he get like fourth in Roubaix or something? He was up there, but the thing is that's different. I think that this rider is perfect for Roubaix. He was also good on the hills in the World Championships. I think third on the World Championships as well. So in general, he's got the qualities of doing well on this sparkle, but I don't think he has acceleration to follow the attacks on stage four and five. And I think that's where he might actually end up losing it. I think he was in clear contention for a victory on a Bing Bang Tour in previous years, but that's in a far memory of me, and I don't exactly know where that was. But in general, he lost enough time to lose the jersey that year. And I think that it's going to be really tough for him for to sustain to sustain the elite jersey if he has it. And he's got a decent team, like you said, Jeanette's very uh very good talent, and I'm looking forward to see what he becomes. I think he's more of a a punchy uh, between a punchy barrida or something like that. I'm not sure what his capabilities on the cobbles are. I have not looked at that yet. Ludwigson is for the uh, time trial. I don't expect too much from him. Otherwise. Linhard is a bit of a sprinter. I would not be surprised if they actually sprint with Fabian Linhard. He uh, was decent. He's not top level. So it's going to be curious if he can get top fives in sprints. And I believe that's very much possible. Latanyu, Lagarde, I think those people are mostly going to be in support of Kung and Brunel as well. But outside of FDG, another team I would look at very swiftly. We've got, to be honest, in general, riders across all teams that 
are possibly going to influence this race. And made again that Circus Wanti, a very good rider in my honest opinion. He can definitely be great on stage five. Four, I'm not sure. I don't know what his capabilities on the hills are. We've got Philipson for the sprints at UAE, so he's going to be great there as well. Regarding the sprints, it's going to be cool to see Med Leader versus Philipson versus Akamon versus Peterson. It's going to be a, an awesome battle. Then we've got Van Marke at EF Pro Cycling. He's got a pretty solid team surrounding him, but yeah, it's Van Marke. So it's going to be pretty tough on the uh, time trial day for him. I think he's going to lose like 40 seconds there. And then it's going to be tough to come back, to be honest. Yeah, let's talk about Philipson though. Let's talk about the sprints. So Philipson, a lot of hype, 22 years old. Well, not, not hype, it's, it's deserved. Um, but he's going to Alpes and Phoenix next year, uh, joining Merlier, Dries de Bont, and Mathieu van der Poel. That's insane. I can't wait to see that next year. Um, he's thought of sometimes. I used to think of him as like a pure sprinter. He's not a pure sprinter. He's like a classic sprinter like Degenkolb. I think of him more as that sort of rider. Um, he's not looked that good in since lockdown's finished. He did win a stage in Tour de Limousin, but that was a very, very weak field relative to his abilities where he was coming like, he came second in the Tour Down Under Stage 1 um, and, like, I think third in Stage 4. That was with Ewan and co. I know that's still a warm-up race, but still, like, that was with pure sprinters. I don't see him beating Pedersen, Ackerman, and Vanderpool, and I'm missing someone else. Um, probably probably Alberto Dainese. Um, I don't see him beating all of them in stages one or three. I actually think he's almost more likely to, I don't know, is, is stage five too hard for Jesper Philipsen? Like if he was stepping yes. up to his abilities, you think it's too hard for him? Yeah, for sure. It's going to be the all-out classics riders that survive stage five. Okay, fair enough. And I guess that's what makes Matthew van der Poel so special, just having the ability to actually climb like that on stages four and five, and he's probably, <laughs> he'd be competitive. Well, he won't even be sprinting, I guess. It'll be it'll be Merlier. That was who I was missing. It was Merlier who will be competing against Philipson, and I think he's quicker than him right now on the flat, honestly, and he's got a better lead-out train than him as well. Uh, I'd like to mention as well Caden Groves and Dion Smith on Michelton Scott. They've got more of a, they've got a pretty good lead-out. Scott's in Durbridge, Edmondson, Stannard, and uh, Klonichev. But more of a time trialist lead out than um, the sprinters at Trek Segafredo. But still, I'm not sure who they'll be going for in the sprints, uh, whether it'll be Dion Smith or Caden Groves. Caden Groves, it's hard to say. Um, I feel like it'll be Caden Groves for the actually stage one, and then that might change over to Dion Smith in, in stage three if it's just a little bit harder. I'm not sure exactly, but if it's a harder stage, It'll be Smith, um, and he could get a sneaky result as well. Uh, and one man to watch as well for Ineos who haven't brought Dave, uh, haven't really brought a strong team either is Ethan Hater. He won Giro della Penino. He's just come off that. Um, he came third in Giro, Giro della Toscana. He got another top 10 at Coppa Sabatini. He's looked really good in these Italian races since lockdown, second in Memorial Marco Pantani um, behind Fabio Fellini. Yeah, just watch him. Just watch him. If he does, he, he's probably not got the firepower in these stages one and three. He's probably going to be learning in these Belgian races. They're a whole different kettle of fish. Even though they look flat, they're still tricky. But, yeah, I'm just keen to watch how he goes, uh, that young British rider. Um, 
because he looks looks super talented. And he's got he's got the veterans on that team, you know, Basso and uh, Christian Nies. Owen Dool. Owen Dool's not a veteran yet, is he? And it doesn't matter. We can move on from that. But yeah, right, let's get your picks, Benji. Uh, who who are you picking for GC? I think I'm going to uh, yeah. Matthew Vanderpool seems like a too obvious choice to go for. I don't want to go there just because it's like he's head favorite. I I can't I can't I just can't do it. I generally can't do it. So Learn I'm from going me to uh, World Champs ITT. Learn from my mistake. <laughs> I'm going to all out go for uh Sudden Kranderson because our friendly wager is on, so I can't just neglect that wager and move on. I have to battle for it, by the way. Alright, I'm going with Matthew Vanderpool. I learned my mistake, not picking Filippo Ganna. Uh, although I picked well fine out in the uh, the road race. But yeah, that's going to be, this is the longest preview of the Bink Bank Tour on any podcast in the history of cycling. <laughs> um, I don't know who owns a lot of their races. The Bink Bank Tour, like I know Flanders Classic owns uh, five or six of the classics, but then the other ones like Amstel Gold's owned by a foundation. I think E3 Bink Bank Classic's owned by a random television broadcaster in Flanders. I don't know who owns Bink Bank Tour, but yeah. You're welcome, guys, um, because the world will be gladly watching Bink Bank, um, in, especially the Stage 5 instead of the Giro d'Italia. But let's move on to some transfer news. Uh, the one I really want to talk about is the Ineos transfer news because they've signed – well, it was pretty much an open secret, but they very nicely and conveniently for us packaged them all into a nice press announcement and tweet. Um, so the, the names were Danny Martinez from Education First – going over to, to Ineos. Lawrence de Plus, who won Bink Bank last year, his only pro victory, been riddled with injuries. Adiombo Visma, been a lot of talk and speculation about what's wrong with him. He actually came out last week uh, saying, talking about that, we'll talk about that in a second. Tom Peacock, the man who I somehow made a video about, his Euro, uh, baby Giro win the day before that announcement. Um, and nice guy, by the way, uh, at least to me. And he... Yeah, he's been signed with Ineos. That's, I think, the biggest news that's been, I think, deserved its own press announcement, to be honest. Uh, and Richie Port going to Ineos. And there's a lot to talk about here um, for a variety of all these riders. There's a story behind them signing with Ineos. But let's start with, in my view, the biggest news, Benji, Tom Peacock. He competed for Great Britain in the men's elite. Uh, at the World Championships, Luke Rowe rode his heart out for him. Luke Rowe, always the MVP uh, in my eyes, does such a good job. Uh, even though they kind of had Twitter beef where <laughs> Rowe told him to Peacock to be quiet the a few weeks ago in the safety issues, he still did a magic job for Peacock. He's got the world at his feet. Peacock, super talented. His closest comparison in my eyes is Remco Evenepoel. Um But yeah, do you think, Benji... Some people are saying, oh, well, he's not going to be able to ride for GC. Oh, they're not going to let him ride classics. Are you concerned that Ineos are going to stifle his talent? No. And the thing is, he confirmed it on Twitter. So I'm believing Tom Pitcock. <laughs> I think the narrative that Ineos stifle their premium talent is overblown. And listen, I'm not an Ineos fanboy. You know that. But let's be real. Kwiatkowski's had plenty of opportunities to win big races where it's been practiced. Like, where he's been able to, and it, the calendar made sense, they've given Kwiatkowski opportunities. He's won big races at Ineos, uh, Strade, Milano San Remo, if I remember correctly. Uh, Walt Poles won Liege whilst he was at Sky. This was back in the Sky days. Um, 
yeah, Geraint Thomas chose to be a GC guy, and that's why you don't see him in the classics really anymore. Uh, that's not, I don't think, Ineos stifling anybody, and I expect Tom Pidcock is going to get to full. He'll be able to do what he wants. Um, he's, well, not do what he wants, but he can ride in Classica San Sebastian, Liège, Flesh Wallon, um, Paris-Roubaix maybe, who knows, um, like Tour of Flanders. If Philippe and Evenepoel can ride those sort of races and spice things up, hell, even Nibali, then why can't Tom Pickcock? He's won Paris-Roubaix juniors and, um, and the under-23s. So, yeah, it comes from a cyclocross background. He's one of these... That's why I say he's like Evenepoel because he's it's really he's small. He's like 1.72 metres. He's under 60 kilos, but he's got this massive engine and he's really aero. Uh, so Evenepoel is the closest comparison. I don't think he's as good as Evenepoel, especially not right now. We'll see how he goes and develops. We don't really know where they'll be in four or five years. But, yeah, I'm really excited about Pidcock. And if I was Ineos, I would have signed him to eight years at 2 million euro, 2.5 million euro a year is what I would have signed him for. And I would have been able to make that money back in six, not six months. <laughs> I'll be able to, I'll be able to make his salary back each year in six months, just from sponsorships, from having a English rider on the team, homegrown, um, marketable, already sponsored by Red Bull, can win all sorts of races, got panache, can do it all. Like that's, he would have been so easy to market. Um, maybe one of the most, maybe the most marketable of the young riders. He's certainly more marketable than Tadej Pogacar. Um, and you probably think that's ridiculous for me to say that, but that's just a, that's just a marketing thing from him. He's from the UK. It's a, probably one of the biggest cycling markets right now with Zwift and Rafa and all the, yeah, all that stuff uh, compared to Pogacar. When you're from a smaller nation, it, yes, sure. Peter Sagan's still a massive athlete. But if Peter Sagan was American, we, we know what happens and how big an athlete can get if they're at the top of the sport and they're an American. So I don't need to tell you how big Peter Sagan would have been in the broader sense. He would have been like Tiger Woods level, LeBron James almost level if he'd been an American. So that's why Tom Pickcock, I think, from a marketing perspective, Ineos had to sign him. I would have had a blank check. Um, but Benji, Danny Martinez going from... EF to Ineos, it's kind of like the Carapaz move. I think he's going to be pure domestique at Ineos. Uh, I don't even think he's going to get the Carapaz license to go for certain stages or races. Why do you think – what do you think's wrong at EF? Why is everyone leaving Benji and why – yeah, why is Martinez going to Ineos? Uh, it's a difficult question. We don't know what's up with EF. Uh, they've said that they're – being a team next year as well, so it's not that the team is actually going away, but it's very clear that top riders have not re-signed and are leaving. I think Betiol's not re-signed yet, Van Mark has not re-signed yet. I think Ron's signed for the next year together with Higita, though, so those people are still stuck there. But, yeah, I, I, I'm kind of happy that Martinez leaves EF, and it's not necessarily the team that he goes to that's important to me, it's just that I feel like we've got a lot of riders that he have that have the same goals, Higita, Uran, Martinez, and they were always played out in the same races, causing them to, well, eventually all fell except for Uran, mostly due to crashes. So we can't necessarily say that they're 
just bad riders. That's definitely not the case. Very talented cyclists and very talented climbers that could lead a team. And I dare to say that he could lead a team at Ineos, but the issue is that you've got so many leaders there at this moment that it's going to be really tough to see who is actually going to be the leader and who not. Uh, he was the winner of the Dauphiné, maybe with a bit of, not per se luck, but it did give him an advantage that Roglic was out and Bernal was out, I'd say. But yeah, Danny Martinez, I've, he might start as a domestique, he might start as a super domestique and then move towards leadership in one of the races, maybe a Vuelta, something like that, because in the Vuelta we've got sometimes that Ineos starts with Kwiatkowski and Pools last year, I think it was the case with Taugeg and Hart, so... That was not necessarily your best team at the start there. Obviously, Froome was not really in the question to send them to race at that point. And Bernal and Thomas had just finished the tour. So maybe that was the reason. But now they will surely be able to like put riders in every Grand Tour with the hopes of having a potential GC favorite in each. But additionally, it could just strengthen their, their team for the Tour de France. I'm not sure whether their goal is going to be multiple Grand Tours of the Tour, but I'm guessing that they're going to fight for the Tour again next year and the other races are going to be extra because that's usually what Ineos and Sky in the past did. No, I don't think so. I think they're changing. Yeah? Yeah, I think they're, I think they're changing. I think they're changing tact. Um, I don't think that means they're going to be the favourites for those other Grand Tours, but I think some of the, some of the squads they sent to the Vuelta like, have been really, really bad. Uh, like I think last year the squad they sent to the Vuelta was like not competitive at all. Even though De La Cruz, I think he was supposed to be their leader. Um, it was kind of they'd give the Vuelta sometimes to one of the Tour de France super domestiques or domestiques and say, "Here, have a crack." But you've got no real teammate support around you. You get like the B or C squad uh, supporting cast. But they have to send these other riders as GC leaders to other teams, so to the other Grand Tours, because they can't send six of them to all to the Tour de France because it wouldn't make sense. You can't just send six climbers to the Tour de France. You still need Luke Rowe, et cetera, on the team sheet. You still need Dylan Van Baal. Um, so let me read out the GC leaders Ineos will have next year, potential GC leaders that could be leaders. Egan Bernal, Richard Carapaz, Lawrence de Plus, Danny Martinez, Tom Pidcock, Richie Port, Ivan Sosa, Grant Thomas, Adam Yates. I can't remember how many that was, whether that was eight or so people. I think, I'm not sure if I've seen Tour de France for it yet. I think Tour de France next year will be Thomas and Bernal again. And yeah, Richie Port probably going as a super domestique. Um, I think Richie Port is he literally just came on the podium of the Tour de France. So I think I think Richie Port is Ineos second best GC rider. Um I think he's better than Egan Bernal as of right now, as a complete GC rider on a neutral parkour. I'd take Richie Port. I know like am I insane, Benji? Am I just being an insane Australian or would you I'm not the twenty nineteen Tour de France parkour, but like what about if it was the 2012 parkour in Tour de France that Wiggins won? Would you take Egan Bernal or Richie Port to finish higher on GC? thing is, it depends on which Bernal you take. Do you take Bernal of last year or Bernal of this year? Because yeah, fair. there is a significant difference. If you take last year, I'm taking Bernal hands down. If you take this year, well, <laughs> Bernal might not finish that Tour de France. So 
I um, it really depends on what form the riders are in, and I think that's going to be playing an important role. But additionally, I wouldn't put Pitcock at leadership role next year already. He's probably going to be doing <laughs> lesser races, in my honest opinion. I don't see him being the leader of a of a Grand Tour squad yet in the next year, but maybe the year after, he's going to uh, most likely not start in the uh, Tour de France. Usually the younger riders start in the Vuelta for their first time or in the Giro because they don't want to, well, put a unknown factor in a Grand Tour squad. So they will need to know what the weaknesses in a Grand Tour of a certain rider before they send it with the Tour de France squad, I would expect. So most likely I just see him doing the Vuelta or the Giro next year. So they're his first Grand Tour. And Laurens de Plus is most likely going to be a super domestique. And after this year, it's going to be hopeful that he reaches the role of a super domestique because I'm genuinely like unsure. Last year, full confidence, one of the best super domestiques in the Tour de France, hands down. And this year, well, his injuries have been annoying to the fact that we don't know what form he can be in for the Vuelta in which he is selected at the end of the season. He was uh, initially in the Tour de France team, then thrown out of that, then in the Giro team, then thrown out of that, and then basically now is moving towards the Vuelta. Not thrown out of it because they don't like him. It's uh, because he had a hip issue recently. So um, that's his latest injury on the list, the long list, unfortunately. So let's hope he can get back to a decent form. Let's hope we can see him back in action next year. But I don't think it's going to be in a leading role. That is for sure. But yeah, I don't know. It's... They've got a lot of riders, and I don't think they're going to go to the same Grand Tour all, but I also think that they're going to send their by far best team to the Tour de France once again. I I, I find it hard to ch- to see the DNA of the team change so quickly. And maybe it's a consequence of this year of not necessarily the failure. Well, it's kind of a failure in the Tour de France for Ineos. So despite their victory with Kwiatkowski, it's clearly not what they were hoping for with Bernal. So maybe it's a a force for change, but I, I just don't see it yet. Okay, let me read out a, a possible team. Now, let's assume they're full back to full fitness, these riders, for next year's Tour de France. Amador, Bernal, Castroviejo, De Plus, Martinez, Port, Rowe, Thomas. How many is on a team? Eight or nine? Dylan Van <laughs> Eight, so take off maybe Amador because he didn't look so good this year and put in Dylan Van Baal. That is crazy strong. Like, if De Plus is back to full fitness, remember that he was helping uh, Kreuzweig on Colders around last year, chasing down Bernal. He got called back from the breakaway, I think, if I recall correctly. Um, like, he's he on form, elite domestique. Uh, if Richie Port is riding as a full domestique with Danny Martinez, like who won Dauphiné, GC, and the stage in the Tour, Port came third, that's that's crazy strong team once again. Um, and Adam Yates as well, like do they take him to the Tour as a domestique? I'm not sure. Um, do they change their DNA a little bit and take Yates and say, hey, here's a couple of stages where you might go into the breakaway, uh, but other stages you'll be working as a domestique. They've never done that in their, ever in their history. Um, so probably the odds are they won't do that. Um, it doesn't obviously count after Bernal went out in this year's tour. But, yeah, it's a crazy strong squad they've got for next year. They've reloaded with, with young riders. They've even got, like, Carlos. They've got a teenager on the squad, Carlos Rodriguez. He's 19 years old. Um, Luke Rowe is only 30 years old. You know who I think 
is not that good and might is going to have to be fighting for a contract next year is Ilan Sosa. Um, I'm not sure winning Vuelta Burgos GC or doing well in that each year uh, is going to be enough for for Ineos because I just haven't seen him as being good enough as a climber to be like a super domestique level rider. Danny Martinez is a probably better climber than him right now. Um, so yeah, even so he's only 22, but yeah, he's just, he's not as versatile as well as someone like Danny Martinez, who the time trial is not the issue for Danny Martinez. Unlike a lot of the other South Americans, it's actually his climbing consistency, like stage five criterium de Dauphiné and the stage you won in the tour climbing like an absolute animal. Uh, but then other stages is getting dropped super early. So it's really the climbing consistency that's more of a concern for him. But yeah, that's enough on Ineos. Uh, we have to talk about it. They're the most power, or they're the richest team in cycling. And some people think it's a bad thing that they're buying up all this talent. I think it's a good thing that riders are getting paid good money and stable money um, and higher salaries. So I'm never going to criticize Ineos for paying more. Um, that's, I don't, I'm not going to criticize the one team that has a big budget and seems to have got their shit sorted out. Um, even if you maybe don't like, even if you don't like their sponsors, etc. Um, so I still think that's a good thing. They, the riders, um, like it's not good for the competitive balance, I guess, but we saw this year that that can still get upturned if, um, if things don't go their way. But Benji, you got a few other transfer news, um, that I'm less familiar with, and this is really your wheelhouse. Some other news that's come in. Yes, I'll talk about them relatively quickly because some of them matter more than the others. I want to talk with you about an actual extension first, and that's Girmay. He's going to stay until 2024 at Nipo Delco. And personally, I find that uh, I find that a bit annoying. It might be a more suitable place for his first year, the coming year, where he can grow again in a fixed surrounding and he's got a sustainable surrounding that enforces his growth. But I've, I had the feeling that next year he could have been in a world tour team. Yeah. Uh, Germay, I think clearly the most, his most talented uh, black rider in the Peloton, pro Peloton. He is so talented. Um, I'm not sure if you've seen, if you guys have managed to catch any of his races recently, he's looked really good coming out of lockdown. He came second in Trofeo uh, La Guegla, or however you pronounce it, at the start of the year, just behind Ciccone. I think he was going to get a World Tour contract for sure. Uh, I can't believe, I was honestly shocked that he got um, agreed to an extension that long. He's 20 years old. He's came second in Tour de Dube this year after lockdown. He's cut his teeth on like the Tropicale Misabongo and Tour de Rwanda, like one bulk stage is there across in, in like 2019 and start of 2020. Fourth in Giro Tele Toscana this year. He's always up there in these Italian races when it's more of a pure sprint. Um, he's got a really good kick and I just can't believe. Like, I, listen, hey, it's a good thing. He's got a big, long extension with a pro Conti team. But when he's 24, or sorry, when he in two years, three years, when he's into that contract, Nippo Delco are going to be getting a good deal because the way he's looking, I don't know, it's just, it's frustrating to me because he's like the best African rider uh, to me by far. He's so talented. He's 20. Um, 
had all like the social justice movement, which I'm not going to get into too much, but I'm like, well, a lot of people talking about that stuff. And then you've got this guy who's legit so talented and seems like no one offered him a world tour contract or they didn't know his contract was up for extension or maybe he just really likes it at Nippo Delco one Provence and wants to stay there. He's happy there. Maybe it's that. So we got nothing to criticize, but that being said, if I was a world tour team, I would offer him a pretty good contract because this is a guy you can throw at these Italian races, uh, an easier Piemonte maybe, um, the Milano-Torino, if it was a little bit harder than the profile this year, but not as hard as its normal parkour, like Tour de Dubes, he's that sort of race, you can keep him winning and, and being competitive in those races. He came second behind Vlegen. He wins. He seems to win every bunch sprint for like second or third uh, when there's a breakaway up the road. So, yeah, Benji messaged me like straight away, I think, when this news dropped because I've been talking about this guy for a while and I thought he was going to be, yeah, I thought he, I thought he was going to be in the big world tour races next year because, like, he, as I said, it's good he's got an extension, happy for him. Um, who knows? when he's only He'll only be 24 when the contract is up. Um and he can sign World Tour then. But it just means we won't be able to see him in as many races because he he won't be in, like the Pro Conti teams don't get invited to them as many uh, on this sort of wild card. But yeah, what, like, why do you, do you think he's a World Tour quality rider, Benji, when you think of some of the other young riders getting signed, um, other 20-year-olds? Like, is he is he capable of riding in a World Tour team and making a difference? Yes, and I think the uh, ideal team with their history to sign someone like this is NTT because that's what is in their DNA, trying to bring Africa on the map of cycling. And I feel like recently they've given up on that a tiny bit because they don't seem to have many riders from the countries that they initially supported with MTN Quebeca. And so I feel like maybe they're ideals are a bit different now their dna has changed since ntt took over maybe that's the reason for it i in general i do feel like it's not necessarily a, a good choice by Girmai, but maybe if he likes it I, I can vouch for just that if if someone likes where they are where they're working then they don't necessarily need to change but this man could literally blow up world tour in certain races i would send this guy to lbl i would send this guy to la flèche wallon i would send this to any hilly sprint race and hill race and even go for a actual world tour stage race to give it out a try i would dare to say to go for catalonia or bay vasco yes catalonia i think i think liege and flesh are too hard for him right now given his ability. I think they're too hilly. I don't think he likes it that hilly. But I think those races you just mentioned are perfect, where there is enough hills to get rid of the big boys. And then he do- he dominates reduced bunch sprints. And the team I think he should have gone to, he would have been perfect at, was Sunweb. You put him along here, alongside Hirschi, Soren Kraj Anderson, Benot, and uh, Ekov maybe, or uh, um, who am I thinking of? Ooh, the sprinter that sprints in the, the sprinter that sprints in the saddle. Um, it'll come back to me. <laughs> yeah, Nikias aren't. That's a that's a magic team for hunting stages, and he would have probably been on a cheap contract. I think he would have done really well. And they're building a young squad. They're all twenty years old. He would have been almost the youngest guy on the team. 
apart from Ilan Van Wilder and Kevin Vermarkus. So, yeah, would have been a good fit in a lot of teams. Um, and But I hope it works out for him. I'm sure we'll see him still winning a lot of races and maybe he wants to have the ability to keep riding in his home races um, or in, in the African races at the start of the year. And Nippo, they obviously ride them. So that's why he was wanting to stay there as well. I'm not sure. I, I'm not in... I'm not his agent and haven't spoken to him about it, but just something we noted and wanted to talk about because he's a really, really talented rider and it's unusual to see them signing a long-term contract with the Pro Conti team. And it wasn't just Benji messaging me that that was unusual. It was multiple people saying, wow, this is kind of surprising. Um, but yeah, on to your, your other transfer news, Benji. The market to Israel startup nation, I've got the feeling that they are signing everybody that is relatively experienced and can be of worth in a grand tour but i don't think he's going to be overly useful to chris Froome when he's leading the team so yeah it's probably still a good rider but i've got the feeling that this team and i think i had the same feeling with trek when they signed nibali and such even though nibali is obviously the best rider that ever lived on this planet but regarding those two teams it seems like they sign a lot of older riders, more experienced riders in the hopes that they can still achieve maybe, yeah, maybe to try and look for talent in the meanwhile, but it's very opposite of what the teams that are winning at the moment are doing. And when I'm looking at those teams in Yas Jumbo, the Koenig, these people are looking for talented young riders. Every year they sign four or five young riders that can do stuff next year. With Ineos, it's a bit less this year. We've got Pitcock as youngest rider that they've signed the rest is to enforce the team they have, but not necessarily older riders. Richie Port is the only one that's really, I wouldn't say very old, but he's uh, experienced. That's how to say it nicely. Um, in regards to the Koenig, we see it every year that when they signed Asgreen, when they signed Almeida, when they signed Bagioli, all these riders were relatively unknown to the mainstream public and were talented pro Conti slash Conti riders. And I've got the feeling that that's not really happening at Israel Startup Nation. They're mainly signing people from their own dev team. And maybe, like you said, uh, what's his name? The person that you uh, that you know that is going to ISN. Oh, Seb, Seb Berg. Well, he's a, he is a young version. He's like a young climber who could do better than people expect earlier. But yeah, as, as you say, the other signings like Impi, Demarki, that's not moving the needle for me for their GC ambitions. I don't see uh, – they they called Impy a super domestique, but um, <laughs> that's a very liberal That's a very liberal use of the word super domestique. He's a nice rider, good for going for stage wins, good on Rolly Parkour leading out Michael Matthews, but a super domestique he is not. Um, so, yeah, I just it's, – it's interesting, right, that Ineos have got all the money. Israel Startup Nation, I thought, also had unlimited money, but they've not been able to make a splash. They didn't get Richie Richie Port. I thought they were going to get Richie Port for sure, offer him infinite money, go back with Chris Froome, etc. But yeah, it's not. It's hard to turn around, not having a winning culture for a number of years, and if you don't sign the riders that you need to do that, or the young talented riders like Danny Martinez, etc., then yeah, because it's the thing is, sure, if you go to Ineos. You're going for the money and you might have to sacrifice your own ambitions. But you're still going to a winning culture and probably the most advanced and professional team in cycling as well. Um, so there's also benefits in that sense that you go to a place 
that's stable, got a winning culture, going to get paid a lot, and um, yeah, it's not going to be a clusterfuck. So I'm not I'm not saying Israel startup nation will be, but they don't have. If they're just offering people money, and also there aren't going to be a lot of team victories, that might not be that appealing to a rider like Richie Port. Um, Unless if the money's being matched, I guess, at Team Ineos. Like, are you surprised, Benji, that they haven't been able to grab riders? Like, they, they were never getting someone like Pidcock, but someone like Adam Yates or, um, yeah, or Danny Martinez or Port. I think if you spend f- like five million it is on Froome, then you're going to have a tough time finding money for other people. Then again, the person that is leading the investments of the team, um, Sylvan Adams, he basically has money for whatever helps Israel in any cause. So potentially he should have left a bit more for proper super domestiques, to be honest. But I've got the feeling that Froome is going to be a, a pretty lonely rider for the actual GC team there next year. But in general, he's not the only team that, um, well, Israel Startup Nation is not the only team that tried to get extra riders to support their leaders and not necessarily get a super domestique that way. We also see that at Cofidis who signed three riders, one of which is actually in support of Guillaume Martin next year. Guillaume Martin, who surprised pretty well in the first week and a half of the Tour de France, then crashed and bottled his top 10 that way. Not that it was really his own choice that he crashed, but it's unfortunate that it happens, obviously. And they've got Ruben Fernandez. He was at Orbea Fundacion, which was the Oiscari team in Pro Continental. They had Orbea in there as extra sponsor to survive as a Pro Conti team. And yeah, Ruben Fernandez, not necessarily the greatest rider. And I feel like he's going to be more of a Daniel Navarro to what Navarro did to Contador in representation that Fernandez can offer that for Martin. Martin, not Martin, that's a different Martin. Too many Martins in this world. But Guillaume Martin, mm, I think that he's going to need more than Ruben Fernandez to be competitive. His Herrera is in there as well in that team. It looks like they're forming a bit of a Spanish armada around Guillaume Martin, but I don't think it's going to be enough, to be honest. But they are uh, they're world tours, so I would... Definitely expect a bit more. But outside of him, we've got Simon Sinox, sprinter from CCC. He had top 10 placements at Bologna in the sprints. I think four top 10s in the sprint at La Vuelta as well, including uh, podium place, fired on Madrid, the last stage last year. So he's a decent sprinter, needs to get chances. And I think at Cofidis, the question is whether he will be used for the sprint train of Viviani or will he go for himself? I think it's going to be a the earlier part there. And then the last person they signed up is Tom Boli, which is a time trialist. Swiss champion ITT was pretty decent in some time trials over the last year. And I think he's better at the prologue time trials than the actual uh, longer time trials. I'm curious what he's going to do. He has not really popped his head out with the top of the time trialist. So it's not like he's the top of the crop yet, but it's a good signing, I think, because time trialists don't necessarily need a team surrounding them to succeed in what they want to do. And I think that Tom Bowley generally just wants to be a T-tier. So that's curious as well. Do you think that these signings from Cofidis are good riders or do you believe that they're trying to take riders that might not necessarily be interested, well, have the interest of other bigger teams? Uh, I don't know who that guy from CCC was and Bowley... Yeah, it doesn't move the needle for me either. So I guess that answers your question, Benji. 
Uh, Ruben Fernandez actually. Ruben Fernandez actually now. Nah, I'm I'm being facetious. Fernandez is pretty good. Um, he's actually a pretty good rider. But yeah, the other ones, it's hard, right? If you don't have the money, what can you do? Uh, and if you're a French speaking team, and maybe you're not casting your net as wide, it's it's a bit difficult. But yeah, I don't think Guillaume is a nice rider, but. His ceiling is pretty limited as well. I think if he's just going to be going for the Tour de France, I think he should be. I think Cofidis should focus their efforts on races where not everybody is bringing their their big guns um, and try and get some wins that way with their best rider, probably with one of their best riders, Guillaume Martin. Because, um, but yeah, they sunk one point eight million into Elia Viviani, not looking like the best use of cash. Um, so. Yeah, it's going to be difficult to put a good roster together in the years to come, I guess, if that's if that's where a lot of your salary is going. But yeah, wrapping up the the other transfer news, Omri Capiot to Arkea Samzik, uh, Edward Plankout to Alpacin, uh, Clement Davy, Davy and Lars Vandenberg from Group Armour Development Team up to World Tour level. Um, and I think you told me that Plankart, Edward Plankart actually was a victim of hit and run this week, Benji. So is he all right? Is he okay? Or what's the news on that? I haven't actually seen his proper injuries, but I saw that he was awake in the hospital and didn't look too terrible. So I think that he's all right. But the Duffy guy is actually quite interesting. He's a pretty good T-tier. And I'm looking forward to see what he can do when he hits uh, a World Tour team. Is he going to take on anything outside of time trial or not? We don't know. Capiol for Arkea, most likely going to be for the uh, smaller Belgian races. Bit of a cobble sprinter, so... That's curious, but he's getting older as well. So, in general, some secondary transfers, to be honest. That is basically it for the transfers. We've got amazing ones for Ineos, some lesser ones for other teams, and basically some welter teams that try to form a better GC team surrounding their leader. Whether that is going to work, I guess we'll find out next year. Bink Bank, see you there all tomorrow. We'll have a recap podcast tomorrow. Seb Burke is going for welter GC. Might even win it next year. Ciao. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.